Welcome to Realty Talk, the show that brings together the country's most authoritative and respected property experts. Follow us on all the socials and subscribe for updates and exclusive offers. Realty Talk is powered by realty.com.au, connecting buyers, sellers and agents differently. Hello once again and welcome to the show. Bushy Martin plays host to three very interesting guests this week covering commercial property, the risks and rewards, also finance, and some often overlooked opportunities. Bushy discusses how commercial property is often misunderstood when he is joined by commercial property buyer's agent Steve Polisi. Another guest, Managing Director of EBM Rent Cover, Sharon Fox Slater, is a landlord insurance specialist whose mission in life is to educate and empower property professionals. Sharon fills us in on some recent changes to insurance that are now in effect and that have been designed to enhance fairness and consumer confidence. And then to close this week's show, more wise words from Bushy as he continues with his 101 negotiation tip series and this week explains the knockout offer when buying, when and how to use it, and the three conditions that you need to make sure are always in place. But first up, Bushy interviews a man who is a self-confessed property tragic. Now, he's a real estate agent, he's an investor, a shareholder in a finance company, and was the first winner of Australian Apprentice. I'm talking about Anthony Morello. Bushy talks to Anthony about the opportunity presented in uncertainty. Greetings. Now, it's fair to say that after 18 months of this crazy COVID world, the only thing that we can be certain about is continuous radical uncertainty. So how do we deal with it? And where's the opportunity and uncertainty in the days and years ahead? Well, to discuss this, I'm joined by someone who's experienced property from every angle and every circumstance. From professionally as a real estate agent and shareholder of a leading finance company, as well as a personally personal homeowner and a property investor. In his own words, when it comes to property, our guest knows a lot about a little and a little about a lot. And he's made a career out of embracing the opportunity that uncertainty creates as the original winner of the Australian Apprentice and now head of business development at The Entourage, where I personally had the pleasure of meeting the mighty Morello. So welcome to Realty Talk, great man. Thanks, Bushy. Great to be here. It's always a pleasure to see you and, uh, and to talk all things property and real estate. You know, it's a, it's a, it is the lifeblood of Australia. And I think it will continue to be and, and continue to grow. So, totally agree, mate. Now, it's a subject that's close to your heart and mine. So, yeah. mate, uh, around that subject of uncertainty, what, what continued uncertainty are you seeing in property markets around the country? Look, it's, it's an interesting um, conversation and an interesting question because you, you, would, you would have to argue more than ever, there's, there's probably a two-speed economy going on. You know, I, I was advising a client only um, last week in, a, in an area in Victoria or in Melbourne called um, Kilo Downs. Now, Kilo Downs, please, if anyone's from there, please hear me out. I, I'm probably not, it's probably not going to sound politically correct when I say it up front, but Kilo Downs was never a very sought after area. Um, it, it abuts some great areas, but Kilo Downs was sort of the forgotten cousin for a while. And I, I, spent, I had friends that, grow, um, that lived out that way growing up, but a, a very close that my, my goddaughter's mother called me and said, oh, we're looking at this property. Can you have a look at it for us? And 
you know, give us some assistance in, in, in getting ready for it. And it was quoted, you know, 715 to 765. And that's probably what it was worth, you know, somewhere between seven and eight. We got them a pre-approval through Yellowbrick Road for 840. Um, the thing sold for 915, right? So, you know, when it comes for, and it was an, it was a, a Zoom auction as well, you know, so you could even, you could disagree and say, you know, once upon a time as an auctioneer, that's called over a thousand auctions. If you're in front of the property, sometimes people do get very emotionally enthralled in it. So there's certainly that going on quite a bit right now where family home, the family home market, you've got, a, it's a perfect storm there, right? There's a lack of stock. It's a problem number one. Uh, number two is um, money's the cheapest it's ever been. And I say we love Bushy, you're a little bit older than me. And you, I'm sure you all agree that you've never seen money this cheap. And I certainly in my lifetime, I haven't. And my father, you know, in his 70s said, you know, this is definitely the cheap. Look, you can get a home loan for like 1.9% now if you're buying it for principal place of residence. Totally. Um, so <clears throat> where the uncertainty lies is people are a little bit like, well, is this going to continue? Right, and is it is it going to continue? Like, do I get in now and bite the bullet and pay that nine fifteen, even though really, you know, my financial planner or mortgage broker or bank has told me, look, I shouldn't be spending more than mid eights, or do I bite the bullet, get it at nine fifteen, lock in my interest rate at you know one point nine or two percent for the next you know five years or seven years, and at least have that certainty that I know that the property market in that, especially that home market, is going to grow on and continue to grow. So, my opinion. On it is obviously, um, you know, more is lost with indecision than wrong decision. You know, you've heard me say this many a times, Bushy, and, and anyone who's read any of read or, or seen any of my interviews that I've done over the years is that, you know, what seems expensive today will probably seem cheap in, in five or 10 years' time, right? Like you all have wished you could have bought each of them either side. And, and I know this, I own a number of properties. Um, in a row in Mooney Ponds, and, and I bought the first one many years ago for like three hundred and eighty thousand. I think when I was like eighteen, uh, I think if you were to buy that property today, um, I'm thirty five now, you'd be paying one and a half to two million dollars. So you know, and and once upon a time, you know, I, I'm not I'm not giving Kilo Downs a hard time, but Mooney Ponds was that area. You know, for anyone who knows Mooney Ponds, it was you know. Underbelly Series One, Mooney Valley Race Course, you know, Damien Everage Territory. It was a, it was a rough area, area in the eighties and nineties, and nobody really wanted to live there. Port Melbourne, for those who are in, you know, you look at some of the areas of Sydney. You know, I also own property in Sydney, and I live in Rose Bay in Sydney. And you look at Redfern, and you know, areas that next to public housing nobody wanted, and now you're not going to get into Redfern for anything less than two and a half to three million, even for a single fund. So, to that uncertainty. I think it's 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 there is a two-speed economy going on with property. If if it's the family home, and you've got the banks are, are loving good quality borrowing for family homes because they know people have still got to live somewhere. Yeah. On the investment side, yes, there is a bit of a challenge now. That challenge is generally a lot of the lenders are, are saying they want you know you be to be in a position to pay principal and interest as well. But um, you know, I'll wrap it up in a little bow and say. More is lost with indecision than wrong decision. If you're looking to have a crack, especially if it's your, the home that you're going to live in, then you're better off better off biting the bullet, getting out of the rent race, and, and getting into the property that you want. Yeah, totally agree, mate. So, yeah. it's sort of uh, from your personal side of the equation, how do you embrace uncertainty to realise opportunity? Yeah, look, I, I'm a big believer in you know a cost benefit analysis, right? So, you know, um, you know, it's it's pretty easy to sit there with a calculator or with a financial plan or a mortgage broker and actually work out pretty quickly, what does that look like? Like, you know, paying an extra 50K 
uh, or an extra 10%, let's call it, on what you maybe thought you were going to pay for something. If you amortize that over a 25, 30 year loan, um, it's not that much. You know, you're paying probably an extra 30, 40, $50 a week. That's not a night out, right? So with the interest rates being as low as they are. So um, that's one thing. Number two is like, I always look at historical data. Historical data is very, very important, right? So like, you know, the, the, the main things I look at, you know, Australia, I know right now, we, we, you know, we are a migrant country and we will be again. Like, yes, we've, we've shut our borders, but, you know, the rest of the world shut their borders as well right now. At some point, the only way, whether it's Liberal or Labor government, whether it's right or left wing, they all know that the only way for us to re-stimulate the Australian economy is to let people in back into Australia, right? And, and, and we've done it in the past. We saw, you know, over the, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember 91, 92 recession we needed to have with Paul Keating. I'm old enough to remember the dot-com bust we had in 2000. I'm old enough to remember the GFC. I was working in real estate in Williamstown in, in Victoria during the GFC. And all we do every time that happens is we use foreign investment as a stimulus, number one. Number two, I think Australia is positioned very, very well off the back of this pandemic as the land of milk and honey. You know, and for those who don't understand that reference, it was something very, very pertinent during the 1950s when we had, you know, quite a, um, a politically incorrect policy by Sir Robert Menzies, our Prime Minister at the time. He was a great Prime Minister, but he came up with this concept called the White Australia Policy. So obviously yeah. I apologise to the Indigenous people that it was that and to anyone who, who wasn't, you know, from that. They brought the Italians and Greeks out here under that White Australia Policy. And, you know, they invested into the country. They did the hard work. And I think we it's the same scenario now. Like now, I think the, you know, the Indian communities and the and the um, Chinese communities, they are desperate to get their kids into Australia and, and to, to shift as much of their cash sitting in those countries to get it over here. So there will always be something that will stimulate the Australian economy. And you'll see, for those who don't understand much how it works, there's a thing called FIRB, so Foreign Investment Review Board. They've generally got a checklist of about 10 points. And, you know, I saw very clearly during, you know, 91, 92 to re-stimulate the economy, they dropped those, you know, all you needed to do was basically have a pulse on some cash. So pick, pick, pick two points out of 10 and they let you in. Then when our economy got strong again, they said, no, 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 you need to be up to tick 10 out of 10 boxes and, you know, anti-money laundering and all this, and you have to prove everything, where the do every dollar came from. Then we had the GFC that happened, and you saw those rules drop again. All you had to tick was three out of the 10 boxes. And then once, you know, the first home buyers, who are a very good metric for the Australian market, like if they're getting into the market or not, couldn't afford to buy anymore, you saw Tony Abbott uh, under a Liberal government. So it's been Labor and Liberal have done the same thing. So they they both sit in the same camp in this in, when it comes to this, this uncertainty. And they, you know, obviously made it um, pretty hard for foreign investment again. So I think what they'll do effectively, especially with this um, oversupply of, of new stock, is they'll they will encourage to bring, you know, money in from overseas. Yeah, very good point, man. And I, I think the uh, the next wave, actually, uh, everyone's sort of worried about, uh, you know, the property dropping off, but uh, we are the envy of the world, mate, right now. Yeah. And uh, once those borders open, and it's not far away, once the vaccination levels hit, hit the uh, right levels and look out, uh, I think there's going to be a mass exodus to good old Oz. Yeah, and the the ongoing opportunity in property is going to be very strong. So, yeah. talking about that that ongoing opportunity, in addition to the immigration exercise, where are you seeing property opportunities that the COVID uncertainty continues to create, mate? 
Look, I think um, there's there, there's definitely some. There was definitely in the early days. I think it's come off a little bit now. There was some panic selling, like everyone was like, "The end of the world's coming." The end of the world didn't, isn't coming, and it didn't come. You know, human beings are very resilient. Number one, number two, Australia's biggest advantage is that we are very isolated. Um, it's also our biggest detriment at times, but it's our, also our biggest advantage as well. Um, and I think. Right now, I think the other big piece of it in this uncertainty as well is that there's going to be a lot of, um, if you are in a position to do it or you're looking, if you've ever thought about doing it, I think you're going to see a lot of um, local governments and local councils and state governments being a little bit more flexible around development too. So I, I do know, um, you know, a number of municipalities in Sydney, a number of municipalities in, in the Gold Coast that have, you know, traditionally you might have been able to only put two on the block. Now they're saying, oh, if you want to put three on the block, and, you know, at some point they'll probably say you want to put four on the block. So, you know, I think um, there are going to be some more development opportunities. It's a different calibre of property investor, though. If you're, if you're one, one thing I do give people advice about is that if you're a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, yeah, work hard, take your money from being a butcher, baker, candlestick maker and buy real estate, but don't go and throw, go ahead first and become a property developer. Yeah. You know, it is something you need to commit to if you're going to do it. There's nothing wrong with buying a good, solid, standard house. Um, there is there is actually, I'm going to give a little bit of a plug here. There is actually uh, a business of a guy that's in the entourage that's quite interesting. Where the governments um, right across the east coast of Australia, a state and and uh, local governments have eased some of the um, opportunity for affordable housing is in a thing called um, shared rooms. Yep. So like, so what they're doing is they're allowing people to you know buy a block um, and they're putting, you know, for 650K plus land. So forget about the land for a minute. This company, it's called Stone Horizon. They just do it in Victoria. They do land. They just do the build. They build basically a house with nine rooms and they manage it for you. And okay. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that. You know, so you're getting a much higher yield for your investment. But once again, it's the sort of thing you you don't just throw yourself head first. Do your research, do your due diligence. If you want to, you know, you can Google them if you want to check them out. But I think there's going to be opportunities like that. And I think, you know, that's, you know, it's not going to be conventional real estate anymore. And the reality is, is that like, I look at my portfolio, I've got a terribly yielded portfolio. Like I, like the only reason I feel like what I bought is I get high capital growth. Yes. So, you know, and I, it's funny, you know, one of my, one of our agents, Jonas Craig will sell something and I'll own a property around the corner. I'll text him. I go, shit, I'm rich. And and I remember the particular agent texted me back the other day. He said, you're only rich if you sell Morello. And I said, that's a good point. I'm still <laughs> poor. I'm still cash poor. I'm asset rich, cash poor. So, you know, it's, but the reality is, I think, um, do your due diligence as yep. always. Number yep. one, number two, um, you know, get all your ducks in a row. Number three, be open to opportunities, you know, um, and embrace the uncertainty of it all. You know, like the reality is, is that you can't really go too wrong in Australia. Like, you know, as long as you, you know, you're not like, once again, things to be cautious of are like mining towns, uh, are probably steer away from apartments, most apartments for now. In boutique apartments, yes. Like, you know, I just helped someone buy in Elwood the other week in, in a nice you know, eight in the block, Art Deco, no lifts, no pools, no tennis court. Like, here's the other thing right now with these new apartments. 
if, I don't know if, any, if anyone's listening or watching that own an apartment in a in a new complex, you're paying full strata fees and you're not allowed to use your pool or your dentist or, or your spa or your sauna. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. They're like, oh, we're still maintaining them. And uh, so I'm like, anyway, look, the only reason why I just helped the client just recently buy a penthouse um, and he, I told him up front, I said, you know, Mr. X, you because he's a well-known Australian and uh, very successful. And I was surprised he wanted, to, he came to me with the mandate. He wanted to buy a nice apartment because he's bought acreage an hour and a half out of Melbourne. He's got his business in Melbourne, you know, in the CBD. And he's like, I want to be in an apartment that I've got somewhere to stay overnight. So no worries. And I said, you're not going to make any money on it. And then he's, see, he's in the financial position where he doesn't care. So if he yep. buys his thing for, you know, for me in, and it's worth four million in 10 years' time. He doesn't care as long as, like, he goes, just get me something that's not going to, you know, go down. And I said, well, look, these sort of apartments, you don't really lose, you don't really make money, but you don't really lose money. But, you know, it does have the lifestyle. Now, he's in a financial position where he doesn't need to worry about whether he's getting capital growth or not. If you're a young first-time buyer here, you know, I'm very cautious. Like, I've got family that have bought an apartment in, in Mooney Ponds here, and like they bought it, it's worth less than what they bought it for. Now they're a young couple, they're looking to have children, they now want to buy a house. They don't even have the leverage ability out of that apartment to be able to buy a house. You know, they would have been better off removing their ego, buying a house out in like, for example, Kilo Downs two yeah. to three years ago when they bought the look, if they bought in Kilo Downs three years ago when they had bought that apartment off the plan. For 650, 700, or whatever they pay, they bought a little shitty house in Killer Downs. They probably would have made 400k on the thing now. You know what I mean? But but young young couple, like you know, she might you know they're cut to my cousin. She's in fashion. He's a builder. Like they don't want to go live out in Killer Downs. But they should have done that. They should have just forewent some ego in order to pick up the opportunity. Right, and I think that's really, really important to try and educate people around that space as well. Totally, getting over the ego, uh, walking before you run, uh, potentially considering rent vesting if you're in that position where you want to live in a place to enjoy lifestyle, but put your money into a, a location that's actually going to enjoy the growth. Correct. Uh, and horses for yep. courses, mate. You make some great points there, mate. Um, uh, really appreciate those quite timely insights, Morello. And thanks again for your time on the show today. Beautiful, my thanks, Bushy. Thanks for having me. Thanks, mate. So there you have it. Uh, the lesson's really clear here. Don't tread water in times of uncertainty. Embrace change. Find where the opportunities are being created and then dive in deep. Stay with us for more here on Realty Talk. Property deductions can save you thousands of dollars each year. To make sure you maximise deductions, you need to work with the most experienced quantity surveyor in the country. BMT Tax Depreciation is the leading specialist in the industry. They've completed over 700,000 tax deduction schedules for residential investment and commercial properties Australia-wide. BMT guarantee to find double your fee in the first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation-free quote. Greetings and welcome. Now, in the diverse world of real estate, commercial property is sometimes viewed as risky when really it's just not well understood. Yes, the dynamics of commercial property are different, but they're no more complicated. They just need to be explained simply. And to help us with this, we're joined today by successful commercial property investor, Steve Polisi, a national commercial buyer's agent with his company, Polisi Property. Welcome back to the show, Steve. Thanks for having me again, Bushy. 
Good stuff, Steve. Now, Steve, there seems to be some confusion around what actually constitutes a commercial property. So let's start off with a, with your definition of what actually a commercial property is. Okay. A simple definition for a commercial property is any type of real estate that has a specific business activity or income generating purpose in the building. And the reason why there's sometimes some confusion is because you can have a residential property that fits those kind of marks, like a, a medical center or a vet that's in an existing residential house. That is actually a commercial property, however. Yeah, good call. And that's a distinction that a lot of people don't get. And, and the uh, the average punter generally reflects on commercial as CBD office or uh, maybe a warehouse in the in the burbs. But uh, when it gets down to that level, they, they're probably not seeing it that way. So thanks for that clarification. Now, uh, can you give us a rundown on uh, what are the main types of commercial property? Yep. So you did mention a couple there. So the main types, obviously, retail, office, and industrial. So things like warehouses. It can be anything, though. It could be a a cinema or a theme park or a hotel or a car wash center and things like that. But the key ones, industrial, office, retail, they're the main ones most people talk about. Yeah, okay. And uh, there's a lot of myths that tend to surround this commercial property area. So can you run through what some of those are for us? Yep. So the, the first one is high vacancy. So if you lose your tenant, you're going to be out of a tenant for years at a time, which can be true if you buy a bad one, but that's similar to buying a residential property in a mining town, for instance. If you lose that tenant, it could be a long time as well. So that one's normally a bit unfathomed. Um, the other one is lack of capital growth. Um, so people will say you don't get capital growth out of commercial. Again, completely false. If that was the truth, you'd be buying the commercial warehouses and things like that in the same, same price as 20 years ago in Sydney and Melbourne and things like that. Um, that one comes mainly from offices don't grow as much. So for instance, as an industrial or a freestanding building, much like a high density apartment won't grow the same as a house. So you, you do need to compare apples and apples with that one. Um, and then the other one is people will say that there's no value add techniques. Um, and they're normally residential investors because they're used to renovating a property and getting the equity uplift that way. Um, again, you can still do that. A little bit harder for like an industrial or an office, but if you own a retail space, you can obviously freshen that up and, and get some value that way. But you can also, there's much more creative ways to do it with commercial. You can add solar panels, uh, telecommunications on top, advertising space, ATM machines, um, subdivide the tenancies quite easily, things like that. So there, there are quite a lot of value add techniques as well. Yeah, one of the things that interests me, and uh, correct me if I'm misreading this, Steve, but uh, my understanding is that the the actual rental or the lease negotiated on the, the property for certain types of commercial property actually can effectively directly impact on its value, which is which is something that doesn't happen in the residential sphere. Is, is am I correct in saying that? Yeah, in some somewhat. So like the yield is generally an indicator for the price. So it's not like residential where you just look at the house. It's it's based on the return you get. It's called cap rate, so capitalization rate, which is effectively the net yield on the property will value it. But different types of properties and different tenancies as well. Like obviously, if you have a medical tenant or a McDonald's, that's going to obviously sell much also. You can increase the value that way as well. Yeah, okay. No, that's great. Well, uh, certain areas of commercial have copped a fair bit of a bollocksing in the press and media in recent times, particularly the uh, CBD office space that I've spoken about. So, so given the interesting times that we're in, can you conclude with a commercial property market update flowing on from the long tail of COVID that many parts of the country are currently experiencing? Yep. So CBD is obviously struggling with people working from home quite a lot in lockdowns. 
Um, admittedly, I never really liked office CBD. I thought it was a little bit more one-dimensional because it's you can always build a higher tower next door and kind of price it out. So I've always tried to focus on a land component when buying. Um, so CBD offices are kind of shrinking. However, a lot of businesses are doing the hub and spoke model. So they're actually doing like little satellite offices around the city. So the, the smaller office buildings will actually do quite well. Um, retail in the CBDs is obviously struggling. However, suburban retail is actually thriving at the moment. So all the people at home, some local cafes are doing really well. Obviously, we're talking outside of lockdown, but um, inside of that, suburban retail is actually thriving. Um, and industrial is the tightest vacancy we've seen ever. So most of the vacancy rates are 1.2 to 2.5% around Australia. And that's the e-commerce boom is a big driver for that, obviously. Yeah, interesting. So there's a lot more opportunity there than uh, people have probably realised in the, the current sphere of things, particularly those that have been focusing on residential with, without really recognising the opportunity that commercial brings to the, the space. So look, uh, really appreciate those eye-opening insights, Steve, and uh, we appreciate your time on the show today. No worries. Thanks, Bushy. Thanks, Steve. Well, there you have it. If you're interested in knowing more about commercial property opportunities, grab yourself a copy of Steve's recently published book, Commercial Property Investing Explained Simply, or reach out to Steve's team at policyproperty.com. Stay with us for more here on Realty Talk. Property depreciation is the natural wear and tear of a building and its assets. Property investors can claim depreciation as a tax deduction each financial year. Depreciation is a non-cash deduction. This means you don't need to spend any money in order to claim it. On average, BMT tax depreciation find residential investors almost $9,000 in first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300-728-726 today for an obligation-free quote. Now, it's safe to say that the insurance and real estate industries are highly regulated, which is actually good because it provides a framework that ensures that everyone's actually doing the right thing. And to further enhance this framework, the Royal Commission into Misconduct in the Banking, Superannuation and Financial Services Industry suggested a host of changes to enhance fairness and consumer confidence, which now includes changes to the insurance industry that have just come into effect. So to reveal what these changes are and what it means to you, to property managers and related industry professionals, we're joined by Managing Director of EBM Rent Cover, Sharon Fox Slater, a landlord insurance specialist whose mission is to educate and empower property professionals. So welcome back to Realty Talk, Sharon. Thanks very much for having me on board, Bushy. Um, you're right, there have been a substantial number of changes. Uh, that are predominantly out of the Hain Royal Commission um, and they do flow through to anybody who's distributing predominantly retail products, which are things like house insurance, car insurance, and of course, landlord's insurance. Um, so there are laws around design and distribution. This means that insurers have actually had to document their thought process on the design of products and who their intended market are. They then have to actually produce a target market determination. It's not meant to be a client-facing document, but it will be found on most insurers' websites. And anyone that's distributing the products need to actually make sure that the clients that they're selling to fit within that target market. So that's obviously um, a, a big change. It does apply to real estate agents that are dealing in landlord insurance products. Um, there is then um, updated anti-hawking laws, uh, which is around um, how and where you can actually sell insurance products. Um, there's changes to protect vulnerable consumers. There's changes to complaints, which are now called an expression of dissatisfaction. 
Um, and then there's um, changes around claims. So that's just sort of high level, the ones that will affect our re um, real estate partners, but all up there are around 67 changes to legislation or new pieces of legislation. So it's a lot. That's pretty significant. And, and in normal course of events, uh, people outside of insurance would assume that it's not actually impacting on them, but that's not the case. So can you sort of talk us through uh, who these changes will impact moving forward? Absolutely. So um, but the changes are designed to protect consumers um, and are sort of putting more onus back onto the insurers to take responsibility for decisions that consumers make. So. Um, a lot of people end up with products that are not really suitable for them, um, but a lot of people are not educated enough to make the right sorts of decisions. So it's effectively enforcing the insurers to make sure people are getting the right products for what they actually need. Um, now, you could argue that, well, isn't that easy when it comes to landlord's insurance because you have to have a rental property, um, but there are different types of landlord insurance products out on the market, or you could have a long-term investment um, or you could have short term. So again, you've got to have the right sort of um, insurance to protect you. Um, so that then flows through obviously to property managers or anyone that's arranging landlord products on behalf of their landlords. Yeah, very good point. And that, that, that's something that a lot of property managers wouldn't realise. So how do these changes impact them and what do they need to be doing about it uh, that's perhaps different to what they're doing currently? So effectively, they need to make sure that their clients, if they're taking out insurance, fit within the target market that the um, insurer has designed. So they need to look at the target market determination, which they find on their website, and make sure that they're asking appropriate questions um, to make sure that it's right for their landlord. So um, I obviously can't talk about what other people are doing, but I can talk about what we've done. So we've tried to make it as easy for everybody as possible. So what we've done through our application and quote process is that we've, we're asking now specific questions that will knock people out of the process if they don't fit within the target market. So you could go to our website and say, I would like a quote, and then these questions will pop up. Those questions are designed to ensure that people don't get the wrong products. Yeah, perfect. So uh, property managers are able to access that and use those questions when they are quizzing uh, landlords. Is that what you're suggesting? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if they call through and speak to um, somebody on the phone, they'll ask those same sorts of questions. They'll find when they actually complete our application process, if it's a hard copy application, the questions are on there as well. So we've put them everywhere to ensure that it's as easy as possible for everyone. Yeah, brilliant. Well, that's, it's certainly something that, uh, you know, most people would think, well, that's a financial services or an insurance issue, so it's not going to impact on me. But quite clearly, that's not the case. So if, if we are semi-related or re referring people to uh, a landlord insuring insurance specialist like EBM Rent Cover, then uh, they certainly need to be making sure, as I understand it, they're not giving advice and uh, that they are purely just asking the questions that then point them to you to actually cover that off. Is that-, is that uh... That's 100% correct. The easiest way is do not talk in any detail about products, just give it to the experts to do. Yeah, I love it. No, very good advice. Well, um, I really thank you for making us aware of these subtle but quite significant changes, Sharon. And thanks again for your generous time on the show today.
no problem at all. Thank you. Thanks, Sharon. Well, it's clear that the devil's in the detail here with the recent legislation changes. So to ensure that you're not stepping on insurance landmines that you don't even know are there, reach out to the team at EBM Rent Cover and they'll guide you through what you can and can't do. You're watching Realty Talk, your trusted voice for all things property. Hi, and welcome. In this week's Bush Bite, we continue our special series on the art and science of negotiation. Given the critical importance of your ability to negotiate in all aspects of your life, and especially in the current hotly contested property sellers market. Now, over the last few weeks, we've discussed how you may need to change your outlook, to build good rapport by using mirroring and labeling techniques, and the perceived power position, which you may actually feel is tipped against you. We discuss why cash is king, how to know the prevailing conditions and that negotiation starts with hello. This week, we delve into the advantages of the knockout offer. So the next tip to consider in an overheated seller's market, such as we've got today, where there's many more buyers than sellers, is to consider making what's called a knockout offer. A knockout offer goes in fast for a quick mouthwatering sale at a very enticing price. It's an offer that the seller is likely to accept as it could be more than they would have expected to get so quickly. It gets the whole process of selling their property over and done with for a good outcome. Now, not all sellers will accept the quick offer, but many would if they don't want a long protracted sales process. However, before contemplating this move, ensure the following three conditions are all in place. Firstly, you've done your homework on the area and the property with the assistance of detailed property research reports like CoreLogic, buyersbuyers.com.au or RiskWise. Secondly, you know what the true value of the property is, which is often not the agent's advertised listing price or range. And it's gotta be based on properties that have actually sold recently around the area. And thirdly, you're gonna be holding the property long-term and understand that paying an extra 10 to 20,000 plus or more now will be a, worth a lot more to you in the future. If all of these factors are in place, then consider putting in a knockout price upfront and early. This will be attractive to the selling agent who's often looking for a quick sale so they can get paid and move on to spending their time on their other listings. A knockout offer also puts the competition at bay and should get the seller's attention. Over the years, I've seen many buyers who are afraid to put in an early knockout offer or bid if it's at an auction. They wait for the competition to build over time and ultimately they can end up paying more than the price they would have done had they offered a knockout offer right from the start. And if you're not confident to do this, an independent buyer's agent acting on your behalf can do it for you. So know the value of how much you're able and prepared to pay for the property and consider making a knockout offer particularly in a seller's market where many buyers are competing for fuel properties. This may just blow the competition out of the water and secure the property sooner rather than later. And long-term, it could be a good deal. Certainly, it can be better than a long, drawn-out, emotional, frustrating process. So to summarise the key points from today's discussion on making a knockout offer, remember that it takes confidence and audacity to make a knockout offer However, under certain, certain circumstances, you could end up paying a really good price long-term. Now, some people are wary of this tactic 
but it may be worth considering, particularly in an overheated seller's market. In next week's negotiation special bush bite, we'll reveal how negotiation is a lot more than just the price. That's more food for thought. I'm Bushy Martin from the Get Invested podcast. Stay tuned for more. Well, that's it for another week. Thanks to Bushy's guests this week, Sharon Fox Slater, Steve Polisi and Anthony Morello. Catch more of Bushy at his very popular Get Invested podcast and watch out for us in your inbox next week. See all of our shows, of course, for property investors, for buyers, sellers, agents and brokers at realty.com.au. I'm Kevin Turner. Thanks for your company. We'll see you next week. Miss something in this week's show or want to catch up on past shows? Do it anytime at realty.com.au where we connect buyers, sellers and agents differently. 